God is everywhere. Those are three very simple words, but what does that statement actually mean? Is God everywhere? Is that a true statement? Is God just as much here as he is in far distant places? I want to invite you to think about these things with me, and I also want to encourage you to not just be okay with the thought that God is everywhere. If you're tempted to hear me say that phrase and kind of shrug your shoulders and be like, all right, don't do that because that, what that would do is actually prove that you haven't thought about this as much as you should. This belief that we can literally not escape from God will either make us feel very unsettled or it will bring us great joy and peace. It's not something that we can just shrug our shoulders to and think, well, whatever. And so we will talk a little bit about our responses in a few minutes. But before we do that, Let's talk about the foundations of this belief. Where does this idea that God is all present or the theological term omnipresent, where does this thought actually originate from? The short and simple answer to that is that it originates from God. It's what God has told us about himself in his word. And so I want to invite you to grab a Bible with me and to read with me. I'm going to be in several passages today, but I'm going to start out in Jeremiah chapter 23. So if you want to turn there with me, Jeremiah 23, I'll be reading from verse 23 and 24. Jeremiah 23 verse 23 says this, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? This thought that God is all present is for us what I would describe as a brain bender. What I mean by that is that it's hard for us to get our heads around this. And that's because we often try to think of God in human terms. And the reality is that you and I can only be one place at one time. Some of us may say, unfortunately, right? But God is very different from us in this regard. In this moment... God is just as present with you and I as he is with my family who live on the opposite side of the globe in Australia. And in this same moment, if we were to go and grab a telescope and look through it in the furthest places that we could see, God is just as present in those places. The reason that we say this is there's several scriptures that remind us of this truth, including verse 24 that we just read. It says here, do I not fill heaven and earth? One preacher that I heard speak on this said something that I found really helpful. He said, God is our environment as the sea is to the fish and as the air is to the bird. Over the past few years, I've actually found this line of thinking to be really helpful as I try to understand the fact that God is all present. The best conception that I have of this truth is to think of God in in a way being like a vast ocean that extends in all directions. And I'm like a tiny fish living and operating inside of that ocean. Acts 17 verse 28 puts it like this. In him, in God, we live and move and have our being. We live our whole lives inside of the environment of God. All things, including you and I, are surrounded by God. Now we need to just pause here for a moment and talk about an error, a way that we can think of this uh, that's not correct, that's not helpful. And it's the error of pantheism. 
Pantheism is the belief that God isn't just everywhere, but that he is everything. It's people who would look at a flower or look at a mountain or look at another person and say, well, that's God. We see this belief coming out in different religions. Uh, We see it somewhat expressed in Hinduism and Buddhism. But this is not what the Bible teaches. God is, yes, all present, but that he is not all things. That doesn't reduce the fact that God is amazing. God is incomprehensibly large. And by that, we mean that he goes even beyond the furthest places that we can see or imagine. But that's not all that this truth means. Because God is everywhere, it also means that God sees everything. We see that coming out in Jeremiah 23. It talks about nothing being hidden from God. And so what we need to understand is that there's two truths that are very closely tied here. The truth that God is all present and the truth we talked about last week, that God is all knowing. And we see both of these truths also coming out in another scripture that I want to turn to with you. One of my favorite Psalms, which is Psalm 139. So if you want to turn there with me, I'm going to go to verse 7. And I'll read a few verses after that. Psalm 139 verse 7 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. By the way, Sheol means place of the dead. If... I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. We read this passage and, and we've got to believe that if it's true, what it means is that God is inescapable. There's, there's a verse in particular that I draw your attention to that I think is actually really beautiful. It says in verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. What it means is that if you and I travel to the other side of the world, God is with us. He is there. If you and I went to another planet, I mean, people are talking about colonizing Mars. Like if we went there, God is there. And yet foolishly, at times, we like to think and act like this truth is not true. We like to pretend that God doesn't see all things and that he's not present in all places. The classic example of this is the story of a guy named Jonah. Some of you will be familiar with Jonah's story. It's a story of this guy who's told by God to go and do something. And he says, no, I don't want to do that. And so he starts to run from God. In fact, if you read his story in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, there's this interesting phrase that's used twice in one sentence, um, in one verse. It says this, that Jonah was trying to escape, and this is the phrase, away from the presence of the Lord. And we hear that and we're like, well, that's kind of foolish, but... Often we do try and do the same thing. And if you fast forward into the story, what you find is he gets on this boat. It goes into this crazy storm. He ends up overboard, sinking to the bottom of the ocean. God sends this giant fish, swallows him. And there in the belly of this fish in the bottom of the ocean, I mean, you want to talk about being far, if, if it was possible, from the presence of God, that would be a good description of it. And yet, what does Jonah find? find he cries out to God and God hears him. In that place, God is present. 
So when we say rightly that God is everywhere, that is a true statement. But that statement also leaves us with a couple of problems and things that we need to address. And I don't want to get too bogged down in these particular things, but they are important for us to think about. One problem is this question of why do we talk about being near or far from God? If God is everywhere, what that means is that I can't physically move towards him and I can't physically move further away from him. And yet there's even Bible verses that talk about this. I mean, if if I was to turn there, I won't turn there, but if I was to go to Proverbs 15, verse 29, it says this, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. What we need to understand is that there is a felt distance between mankind and God, and that felt distance is not a spatial distance, but in fact and this is important, a moral distance. God is holy and man is sinful. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Attributes of God, said it like this, God is not far away in distance, but he seems to be because he is far away in character. This helps us to understand lots of things, including even the cross. The cross is the place where Jesus died for the sins of the world. And in Matthew 27, verse 45, we see in that moment that Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we read that and we think about this truth that God is all present, we can ask the question, well, was was God spatially away from Jesus in this moment that he died? And the answer has to be no, God is all present. But as Christ, as Jesus took on the sins of the world, he was separated morally from God the Father. He took on our perfections. And so Holy God separated himself from the Son. And I don't understand all the depths of what happened in that moment. It was a beautiful moment, but I don't understand it. But what I do believe is that separation that had never happened before and will never happen again caused great pain. It caused great anguish. Yet in love, Jesus bore our corruption, our sin and suffering so that you and I could be made right with God. And we'll talk some more about this in a few moments. Now, as we've just talked about some of the consequences of our sin, we also need to think about a second problem. That is that if God is all present, What that means is that God is also present in hell. A few years ago, I just returned from a visit to Scotland to be a part of the weekend away. And some of you were there in a part of that weekend. And I got back and I was on the preaching calendar in Austin to preach on the fact that God is all present. And so as I was preparing, I was really excited. I was like, this is kind of a fun topic. God is everywhere. We can't escape from him. And I remember distinctly the moment in my preparation when I was struck with this reality, with this thought that God, if he is all present, is also present in hell. And it made me so uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable then. It even makes me uncomfortable now. We can find this thought very unsettling because it confronts the way that we think about God. And it seems easier to us to just say, well, isn't hell the absence of God? But I want you to ask you to just stop and think about that for a moment with me. If God were absent 
from any place, wouldn't that diminish his power and his sovereignty? In fact, it would imply that there is a space within all things that God does not have his perfect, loving, good and just eye watching over. It's a place outside of his hand. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, isn't there a Bible verse that says something about hell being away from the presence of God? You'd be referring to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It tells us this. They, and by the way, this is an incredibly sobering subject and an incredibly sobering verse. It says this, they will suffer. And it's talking about people who reject God. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now that may sound rather clear and emphatic, but there's something really important that we need to see here. It all hinges on that word presence. The New Testament that you and I read in the Bible was written originally in Greek And I'm not claiming to be any sort of language expert. But one thing that's been highlighted to me is that this word presence, if you translate that word presence that we've translated here to presence into the English language, the the better word for that is actually face. So when we read this scripture, what it's saying is that these people will suffer punishment and eternal destruction away from the face of the Lord. Now, when we talk about God's face, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the blessing of God. We're talking about seeing him fully. We're talking about knowing him fully, experiencing his goodness, experiencing the tangible reality of God. The reason I say that is that heaven is about seeing God's face. The Bible makes this very clear. If you go to 1 John 3 verse 2, it says we will see him as he is. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, For now we see with a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And if that's not clear enough, if we go to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, it's talking about people in heaven. It says they will see his face. So heaven is a place without sin and corruption where we will enjoy seeing God as he is, seeing God's face. And opposite to that, hell is not a place where God spatially isn't, but in an opposite sense, hell is where God's face is not seen. It's a place where God's blessing is not. Now, this sort of conversation where we're talking about heaven and hell is not popular. It feels weighty. It feels severe and even final. But I want to encourage you, let's, let's not try and dance around these things. The, the truth is that there are final things coming. There's a, there's a Christian author, a guy named Randy Alcorn, who puts it like this. We live our lives in eternity's lobby, walking towards a door that will forever seal our destiny. And I agree with that, that word picture. We're living our lives now And the way that we're living, the decisions that we make, will seal our eternal destiny. Let's not try and dance around these things. Let's ask the question of ourselves, what is our destiny? Will you enjoy God's blessing? Will you see His face? Or will you reject God 
and spend eternity far from his face, far from his blessing. The difference between those two weighty realities, those eternities, hinges on one person. And that person is Jesus. He is, and he alone is, the way to heaven. In his own words, Jesus said, and this was from John chapter 14, in verse 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we want to experience heaven and the blessing of seeing God's face, there is only one way for us to do that, and that is through Jesus. I want to be explicitly clear here. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is, like we were talking about earlier, all of us are born far from God. Not physically. Again, God is all present, but morally far from God. God is holy and we are not. You and I think things. You and I say things. You and I do things that are wrong. And when I say wrong, I mean wrong according to God's perfect standard. They don't measure up. And that's why the thought that God is all present and all knowing is actually quite unsettling to some of us, especially if we don't know Jesus. Because when we think about that, we're faced with this truth and we all of a sudden feel like we're exposed before God. He's seen all the things that we've thought, said and done that are wrong. We feel a little bit like a fish swimming in a tank that has just water in it. There's nothing to hide behind. We have a sense of shame knowing that there is a God and that he has seen everything. But that's where Jesus is so good. He's so helpful. He changes everything. He made a way for us to get rid of that moral distance. Well, not for us, for him to get rid of that moral distance between ourselves and him. And the way that he did that was by giving us his own moral perfection. Jesus gives us his moral perfection. Ephesians 2 verse 13 puts this so beautifully. I'm excited to read this verse to you. It says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, there's that distance, a moral distance, not physical, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is the good news. What this means is that those of us who have asked God to make us right with Him through Christ can now come before God. We're made right with God. In fact, Hebrews 4 puts it like this. It says that we can approach God with boldness, or some translations, confidence. This massive change is made sure. It's guaranteed by something that we know is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, and this is interesting, God's presence in us. It's, it's God with us, in us, prompting us, counseling us, leading us to live lives that honor God. Ephesians 1 talks about it like this in verse 13. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. It's talking about believing and receiving this good news we're talking about. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And we can hear that and we're like, what's this talking about? Well, God's presence is, yes, all around us, but a Christian 
has God's presence inside them, the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And that is in and of itself and guarantee a down payment of the full payment that is to come, which is heaven, where we will experience God's presence in in its fullness. The place where we will fully see and enjoy God completely free from sin and any corruption. All of this, and I hope you hear this, all of this is really wonderful news. We don't call this good news or the gospel without reason. But I want to point out to you the fact that there is even more to this than what we've just discussed. Not only can Jesus reconcile us to God and, 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 and bring us close to him, get rid of that separation because of our corruption, our sin. But when we experience that change, something else takes place, and that is There's this change in how we feel about God's presence. No longer is the fact that God is everywhere unsettling to us. Because what Jesus does for us is he removes our guilt. He removes our shame. No longer should a Christian feel like a fish swimming in the tank like we talked about earlier, exposed in front of God. No, we should feel more like a duckling nestling in under its mother's wing. All of a sudden we're safe, we're secure, we're comforted. So when we think about the fact that God is all present, a Christian should know and feel a comfort, a peace, and a joy. I'm thinking that some of you need to hear this. You need to be reminded of this truth because you're walking through a storm, a time of darkness in your life. Let me say something very clearly. You are not alone. I, I can say that with a 100% confidence in this belief that you are not alone. Whether you feel it or not, God is with you because he is all present. And I, and I want to encourage you to cling to this truth. Maybe this verse is one that you could write down or even memorize. Psalms 46 verse 1. It says that God, and I love the the way the NIV puts puts it, it says it like this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Isn't that good? All this thinking leaves us with a couple of important questions we need to ask. Have you thought, given proper thought, to this truth that God is all present. And if you have, how does it make you feel? If it makes you feel uncomfortable that God is all present, the question that we need to ask is, are you right with God? Have you received the forgiveness offered to you through Jesus? If you haven't, why would you delay? There is no more guilt or shame in Jesus. You can be brought near to God today Find him, reach out to him. Additionally, for some of you, you may think, yeah, I I do believe in Jesus and I am reconciled to God, but you are going through a moment of darkness. You're walking through a valley that is very challenging. And so rather than a question, I guess I have more of a thought, and that is to simply say, please, please cling to this truth that God is all present. He is with you even in the darkest of days. I want to close by reading for you a passage 
in Matthew 28. And this is a passage that we we read, read quite often and we think about what it means that we must go and do. It doesn't, we don't really reflect on it and think about what it means, how we should just rest and enjoy who God is. But there is a truth here that I want you to hear. And so I'm going to read from Matthew 28 and verse 18. We call this passage the Great Commission because it does tell us what a Christian is called to. But let me just read it for you. It says this, And Jesus came to them and said, He's speaking to His disciples right before He's about to return to God the Father. And He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's good news. And this is the commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that's usually what we focus on. But that's not all that's said here. The last sentence is what I want you to hear. He says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's cling to this truth. Yes, we need to reflect on what God's calling us to, but we also need to reflect on this reality that God is with us. You are not alone. God is with you. He is with me. And it's good.